Hiya, and welcome to another episode of Dissidents and Dictators. I'm Alicia Maldonado, here with my co-host Michael Buble. Oh. Maya Moonlighting as Casey Michelle. Okay, yeah. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the life and legacy of one of my favorite politicians and thinkers, Václav Havel, who died 12 years ago this Monday. Fun fact, he served as chairman for the Human Rights Foundation, and we also have a prize named after him. We'll discuss all these things coming up. So, Alicia, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. I'm tired. A little bit tired. Tired. Because we had our holiday party. Stayed up oh, all that's what we were doing last night. Yeah. Right, right. It's all coming so I'm back a little, to me. I'm a little tired. I mean, you have an excuse for being tired. You have a little baby, but I have none, really. Well, I, I, would, I would say you, you must be tired from all the uh, entertainment uh, and all the, uh, dare I say, Michael Bublé-esque vocal talents. You were killing it with that, that were on display. horrible rendition of Purple Rain. Look, I am so happy Prince wasn't around to see that. That brought me I so much more joy than I could express. Thoroughly ashamed of myself and my decisions. Yeah, you performed with uh, Celine Bustani, our president. That's right, that's right. Yep, it was and, an uh, honor, and I certainly let her down. It was, it was and honestly, I let real, the whole team down. It was a real privilege to no, watch that. It was, look, we, we have a lot of talent on staff. That goes without saying. The, the, the program directors, you know, creative side, the interns, all of them are phenomenal. I, I, I had no idea that we had so many uh, altos. So many uh, sopranos, yeah, and 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 so many other uh, folks who, whose vocal talents don't even need description, uh, because the less the said, the better. <laughs> uh, and they were all on display last night. It was really great. Uh, I did not get up and sing because I'm not a huge fan of getting up in front of people and singing. Although my mom and my sisters used to make me do, but uh, yeah. Well, who knows? Maybe if we're lucky enough, someday we'll get you up there with our esteemed producer Omar. Yeah, maybe. Who we also can... didn't get up there in front of the mic. Although, I would have considered, if you would have done the Barry Gibb, Barbara Streisand song with me, I would have considered it. But you turned me down. Now, look, obviously everyone knows I'm a huge Streisand fan. Barbara. All of her, her entire history, right? Her entire oeuvre of Barbara Streisand. Brooklyn born and bred. Uh, uh, you know, local girl made good. Yep. And, and, and look, I mean, there are many ways to honor, honor her. Um, um, a karaoke uh, maybe is not one of them. Yeah. Did you ever watch Home Improvement growing up? With yes, Tim I, Allen? Yeah, yes, I did. Absolutely. Have we talked about this? Uh, no, recently? I don't. I don't know. That, I don't know that we have. But um, my baby does a great impression of the the neighbor, where she pokes <laughs> only the top. Mr. Wilson. Head of, uh, Mr. Wilson. That's right. Oh, I'd love to see her do that. Well, there's an episode. I don't know why uh, I woke up seeing this. Maybe it was just just the festivities from last night. But in the show, Tim the Toolman Taylor has a sidekick named Al Borland, and he's always just mean to Al. He's so cruel. And there was an episode where the youngest of the three Taylor boys was in a Christmas concert, and he was singing the first Noel, and Tim Allen changed, or Tim Taylor changed it to No Al. Oh, that's horrible. So all the way here, I was saying No Al. No Al. Well, we don't have any Al's on the podcast. I know. That's okay. Get get him on there at, uh, at, at, at some point, obviously. Now, can you, I know you didn't sing last night, but can you do an impression of Tim the Toolman Taylor? Um, his, um, whatever. That one? That was incredible. That was it good? Thanks, Alicia. We're going to work that into every episode. Yes. From, from, from here on out. I can't do like the arr, arr, arr. I hate, I to, say, I hate to say it, but Tim Twillman Taylor obviously has a legacy. Yeah. As it pertains it? to uh, characters on screen, uh, uh, modern, uh, certainly American comedy. Um, but I don't know that he has quite the legacy. And again, the segues in this podcast. That's so good. That's delicious. Second to none. Delicious. We're really firing on all cylinders today. We are. 
like the individual we're going to be talking about today, Mr. Václav Havel. Yes. Who, at least, what did you say in the intro? It was 12 years ago. 12 years ago on Monday, December 18th. That he passed at the age of yeah. 75. I, I distinctly remember that date because three days before it, Christopher Hitchens died, and I love, love Christopher Hitchens, you know, the acerbic and brilliant journalist that he was. Um, and then three days later, Havel passed away, and so for a 25-year-old me, it was a very, very sad week in December. So those dates just stay, stand well, out. I was going to say, you know, and, 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 and this anniversary passing gives us time to reflect on him, his legacy, and beyond that, how we at the Human Rights Foundation continue that forward, whether it's within the Havel Prize, which I'm sure we'll be talking about later mm -hmm. on, or if it's just kind of the broader kind of, you know, intellectual architecture that he created both, well, firstly in Czechoslovakia itself, but globally as well. Right. As one of the clearest, most succinct, and most uh, certainly intellectually attractive anti-dictatorship voices, frankly, the entire 20th century. Now, look, I'll, I'll back up a second. I, I knew Havel as a politician. That's how, that, that's how mm. I was introduced to Havel. I, not that I knew him personally, but that, that was what I associated with his name was the, um, you know, the presidency in, in, in Czechoslovakia, obviously, uh, eventually the Czech Republic itself. Uh, and, and, and so I'm coming to this character, this figure, as someone who I knew as a, you know, a democratic politician. Okay, he was outspoken against communist authorities, the Soviet Union, so on and so forth. But he had, which I've been learning about, this incredible, and again, learning about, because especially the Human Rights Foundation's continuation of the Havel Prize itself, his history as a creative, mm. as a mm -hmm. playwright, as a writer, as an author, which long, long, long predates his role as a politician and political figure, uh, and was the initial reason that he was targeted That's right. time and time and time yeah. again. Writing always gets you in trouble. It's just the beautiful thing about writing, thing, or it can do, you know, and uh, just a testament of how much people fear words, actually, more than anything else. Oh, absolutely. And well, what's what's that phrase? The pen is... Uh, mightier than a thousand... Uh, a thousand swords, swords. A thousand swords. A million yeah. swords. Whatever the number end up, might, might end up being. Like, Certainly Havel is a case in point in, in that. So, okay, so he's born in 1936. Yep. Right, we think about the trajectory, obviously, the Second World War, imposition of communist authorities in post-war Czechoslovakia in the late 1940s. He effectively, you know, there's the entire certainly teenagers, formative years and early adulthood, knows nothing but the stifling, the boot on the throat of Czechoslovak citizens mm -hmm. from Soviet-backed, Moscow-backed communist officials, the communist regime in Czechoslovakia itself. And then 1968 happens, which I think a lot of folks mm -hmm. may remember as mm -hmm. the Prague Spring, this democratic flowering, this push for reform socialism in Prague and elsewhere in Czechoslovakia, very much a, a grassroots democratic movement that the Soviets then invade and then move in. Soviet military clamps down on, mm -hmm. stamps out completely as a formative moment for Havel himself, again, as a playwright, as a creative, as a writer itself. Yeah, and then he finds himself thrust into power in and in a power he didn't want necessarily or seek Well, a out. position he didn't want that right. he never necessarily anticipated. Yeah, and, and you know, for me, it's... You know, reading him during my formative years and uh, what I loved about him, what stood out for me more so than, you know, like some of the nitty gritty of the politics was that um, I believe that power should be given to those who don't want it. Um, and he didn't seek it out. And, and through his writing, he realizes, he says at some point that it's come to a point where he he can't turn it down because that would be disrespectful in a way to the people who've who wanted him there. Um, and so 
yeah, there's it makes me think of the ever wise Albus Dumbledore who tells Harry, oh, Mr. Dumbledore, terrible administrator, who says, it is a curious thing, but perhaps those who are best suited to power are those who have never sought it. Those who, like you, Harry, have leadership thrust upon them and take up the mantle because they must and find to their own surprise that they wear it well. And I feel like that really d- demonstrates And that. I think that also points to one of the kind of, again, intellectual through lines of so much of Havel's work was this not seeking power for power's sake, not seeking to construct a, a, a regime or, you know, any, again, any kind of certainly authoritarian structures for the sake of power itself. But there seemed to be this kind of overriding, maybe even at times overwhelming belief in the almost sanctity of the individual mm-hmm. as an independent actor, as a figure of and worth all of the dignity to which we are all owed, to which we all uh, uh, inherently embody, which is a dignity that dissipates. Mm-hmm. That is diminished. That is, in many cases, destroyed by the kinds of regimes that Havel was talking about, writing about, eventually fighting against itself. He had, had this great quote. I don't remember. I don't remember. I think this was from one of his interviews, where he said, and I just haven't read it from me, so I'll just read it verbatim. He said, "Quote: I feel that the dormant goodwill in mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. needs to be stirred. Yeah. People need to hear that it makes sense to behave decently, or to help others, to place common interests above their own." to respect the elementary rules of human coexistence. Uh, and that's the end of the quote there. Oh, I would be happy to sit here all day and just throw back and forth Havel quotes because they're just inspiring. Uh, at least yeah. they are for me. And, they are, absolutely. Uh, but so in his most famous essay called The Power of the Powerless, which I've read so many times since 1978, and, and he talks about kind of that point that you're discussing now, Casey, which is how you know ordinary citizens naturally resist dictatorship just by living their lives. Exactly. These, these small yeah. moments that, that in many other cases we would think were just completely inconsequential. Yeah. And then democracies wouldn't even think about. Yeah. And he, and he had this phrasing too that he would always say, you know, live in truth, you know, to live in, to live in the truth. And that's something that should be put on a shirt or a mug. I don't know. Um, but yeah, if you, if you go about your daily lives as if regimes don't exist. Well, there's a scene in, in Power, uh, power uh, uh, of the Powerless where he's talking about this, this grocer. The green grocer. The green grocer. Yeah. He receives his vegetables. He receives his fruit every day. Yeah. And in the deliveries, there's a sign that comes with it praising the the regime, as right. it were. That he is expected to, this grocer is expected to put it up in in, in the window, uh, the street-facing window of his grocery. And, and and he can he can keep it up and life can go along merrily if he wants to, you know, as it is. But if he takes that out and he claims his own life back, then you'll see a, a stirring and... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, this is the kind of social control that he is writing about in dictatorships. That is, again, these, these small moments that, that are such an affront, such an offense to the basic dignity of these individuals that live, that suffer, and that nonetheless strive for betterment under these dictatorships. And once you can tap in to those individuals, that community's sense of self, sense of selflessness, you can then begin building something even better than what is on the ground that these individuals are struggling through day in and day out, sometimes thinking, sometimes otherwise, um, uh, in these uh, in these countries that suffer under these regimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, David Remnick wrote this beautiful piece for The New Yorker about Havel in 2003, right after he was getting ready to leave office. And um, we'll share it in the show notes because I just think that it's such a good read. Um, but he kind of I'm going to just read it because I just think it's a beautiful piece of writing. And then hopefully you can tell us some more about uh, Charter 77, which is Mm -hmm. what they reference. Mm -hmm. But um, so he writes about about Havel. Consider a bourgeoisie boy becomes a bohemian playwright. 
He then becomes a dissident who, for the crime of writing subversive essays and helping to organize a subversive movement called Charter 77, is encouraged by the regime to master the art of welding in a reeking Czech prison. Finally, in late November 1989, everything implodes and he is leading demonstrations in Wenceslas Square and hundreds of thousands of people are shouting hovel, um, hovel to the castle. I'm not going to try to do uh, within days, he is the head of state, working in the same hilltop redoubt that served as the seat of power for dynasties of the Bohemian Kingdom, the Habsburg monarchy, for the emissaries of Berlin, and the traps of the Kremlin. Just a beautiful. Well, look, like David Remnick is certainly one of my favorite writers, and his book, uh, Lenin's Tomb on the Decline and Eventual Dissolution of the Soviet Union, is frankly one of the best written of that era. Cannot recommend it enough. I will pick it up. I am embarrassed to say I've not read the uh, the New Yorker profile on Havel from Remnick. That's absolutely on my reading list as soon as we get <laughs> done with this uh, with this episode. But absolutely worth mentioning Charter 77, because yes, yes. if, if you look through the entire kind of history, and Remnick obviously laid it out in that... Uh, Paragraph that you just read through, Elise, you see this kind of growing realization almost, this growing certainly trajectory and sense that, yes, art can move, art stirs, art motivates, art deflects and distracts from what these regimes are trying to do in order to create a better future. Havel never abandoned that. He never abandoned mm -hmm. that artistic background that he was raised in, that he spent, frankly, his entire life crafting. Um, but you can also see this trajectory in terms of the political space, the political sphere growing and, uh, on his end, which obviously ended up in the presidency of the Czech Republic itself. And you have Charter 77, which you mentioned a moment ago. And he was with the, the, the essay we discussed earlier, Power of the Powerless, that was mm -hmm. 1978? 1978, yeah. So a year before that, 1977, Havel and a number of other intellectuals and writers and activists that were still working and trying and striving under the communist regime in Czechoslovakia, they come together and they issue this manifesto. Beautiful manifesto. Called Charter 77. And again, it's a little catchy. You know, it's 1977. Yeah. Oh, and then, by the way, there are 77 paragraphs on this, which is pretty lengthy. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Anytime you can, I don't know that I have 77 paragraphs on anything. I'll tell you <laughs> I that. believe on you. No, look, it's, it's a, lifelong, a lifelong goal. But... They put this out, and again, it's so funny reading through this. You see, these are the basic underpinnings of democracy mm -hmm. itself. Again, the self of individualism, the sense, the sense of decency, the sense of dignity to which individuals in Czechoslovakia and elsewhere are due simply by dint of existing. Mm -hmm. That these regimes over and again, authoritarianism, authoritarians of any and all stripes try to stamp out in order to retain power uh, themselves. I'll, I'll just read a, a you know, quick synopsis of chapter 77, or sorry, Charter 77. It was a, quote, pivotal human rights initiative and manifesto that emerged in 1977 in Czechoslovakia, was a direct response to the oppressive policies of the communist regime in Czechoslovakia and played, and again, this is the, the, the key element, played a crucial role in galvanizing opposition to the regime and became a symbol of resistance to totalitarianism, not only in Czechoslovakia, and again, it is these basic underpinnings of democracy as we know it that they were calling for. This was nothing, well, in the eyes of the communist authorities, this was, was certainly radical. Mm -hmm. But in the eyes of the rest of us, this is exactly what we should expect from democratic governments. It is you know, basic human rights demands, basic uh, upholding of international commitments, again, especially in the human rights space. Uh, you know, these things that should be expected from any government that is representative of uh, the people themselves. And it is, again, it is difficult to overstate the role that Havel played, not only in generating and sparking the momentum in Czechoslovakia that ended up uh, toppling the regime in 1989, 
But more broadly, all of the successes, all of the democratic successes seen in 1989 across Central, across Eastern Europe, uh, in, in, in the Caucasus, in Central Asia, so on and so forth, 1989, 1991, all of these democratic successes in many cases can be tracked back to what Havel was doing. Mm -hmm. Even in the 1970s, what he was doing, what he was, what he was organizing, and I will say, I just want to quote, end with this quote from, um, there's a great book that came out you know, a while ago at this point by a gentleman named Tony Jute, who's a historian. Uh, he wrote this book called Postwar. It's a nice, thick, doorstopper book. Yes, great Christmas present, if anyone's involved, Christmas holiday present, so on and so forth. But, you know, it's about the totality of European history post-1945 through, you know, the mid-2000s or so. And he has this quote on Havel, and I'll, I'll just read it again, where Jute says, quote, The role of Havel was equally crucial to other elements in 1989. No one individual of comparable public standing emerged in any other communist country. And while most of the practical ideas and even the political tactics of Havel's movement might have been forthcoming in his absence. It was Havel. It was Havel who caught and channeled the public mood, moving his colleagues forward while keeping the expectations of the crowd within manageable bounds. And again, I just stole a quote from Jute. He also says the impact of Havel and his public appeal cannot be overstated. And what I love about that, you know, for us sitting here now and we're reflecting on his life and hearing, you know, those quotes is the way that he viewed himself, or at least in the way that he talked about himself. Um, if you read his book, Sorry Meditations, which was a reflection during his, his time in the presidency, which is a beautiful, I mean, he's just a beautiful writer, so I'd recommend it too. But, um, you know, he was always, again, to the point of, of power should be given to those who don't want it or don't seek it, um, is that there's a level of humility there um, that he, Havel would always who I strived for, I guess. And so and you, it, you would hear it in his speeches and, and, and in his writings. I mean, he talks about, he actually said this in, in, a, in a speech that he gave in Jerusalem six months into his presidency. And he talks, he said, the lower I am, the more proper my place seems. And the higher I am, the stronger my suspicion is that there is some mistake. He was never a man who was afraid of laughing at himself. And you have to. You have to laugh at yourself, especially in high positions of power. There's a reason that these regimes are, are, and again, it doesn't matter what stripe they are, you know, whether it's authoritarian nationalists, whether it's far, far left communist, socialistic regimes themselves, always trying to stamp out the comedians, always yeah. trying to stamp <laughs> out the writers, always trying That's to right. make sure that nominal entertainment is within the bounds of what they deem permissible. Mm -hmm. and those elements of freedom, those elements of creativity are snuffed out time and again, and yet they always burn bright in the human soul. And certainly yeah. Havel was a case in point of that. I'm just so glad that I, I read him at the time I did, you know, in my in my mid-20s, because it was really, really formative. And I just, he talks about, you know, morality. And, and you don't really hear politicians talk like that anymore. We don't have to get too political, I guess, but um, that every uh, eventually everything is a moral choice, um, no matter how how you try to to separate yourself from that and, and be just you know strictly political or whatever it is how, but you get, really can't do and so and that and then that bleeds through the charter 77 as well well and again you know we're, we're talking here at the end of end of 2023 and certainly there have been successes in the last few years on the broader global fight for democracy against totalitarianism, whether it's in uh, uh, Ukraine, certainly most especially, um, you know, elections in places like uh, uh, Ecuador or, or Moldova or even Armenia, you know, so on and so forth. You can find these, these successes, which is certainly more than you could say even a few years ago, but we're still waiting for a kind of 1989, 1991 redux. Mm -hmm. We're still waiting for another wave 
the next wave of democratization of yeah. the end of maybe not all, but certainly some number of totalitarian regimes. I mean, certainly think back to the Arab Spring in 2011 and all the promise that movement showed. And then obviously the reaction to that there. And right. we're still waiting for another hovel type figure to emerge. And again, yeah. there are plenty of individuals. I mean, my goodness, we, we highlight so many of them at the Human Rights Foundation. This isn't taking away anything from them. But there are individuals like Havel throughout history that seem to encapsulate a moment, that seems yeah. to encapsulate yeah. a movement that transcends those borders that, um, I mean, maybe it's a necessity, maybe it's not, but certainly continuing Havel's legacy is a must if we are to continue this fight. 100%. Love the guy. As we, we mentioned in the opener there, we, we have a prize for um, Havel. Uh, it's called the Václav Havel Prize for Creative Descent, uh, an award that we created in 2012, and it awards artistic innovation. And so we have had a number of laureates, as we call them, and kind of honoring that sort of creative, yeah, creative dimension. So, you know, we have you know, Manal al-Sharif, who did the the drive campaign for women in Saudi Arabia, um, Sakdia Marouf, who's an Indonesian Muslim who takes on um, Muslim extremism comedically uh, as a stand-up comedian on stage. Uh, and of course... She's very funny. She's very funny and she's such a delight. Yeah, she's very delightful. Uh, and, um, you know, we have the Pekan Art Car, um, which is, you know, an automobile used to advocate for human rights in Iran. And, and so we find different ways to uh, keep his legacy alive through around the world and, and, and giving these prizes to different people is pretty cool. Absolutely. And again, it comes down to what is it that these dictators don't want? They certainly don't want anyone laughing at them. They don't want us having fun. They certainly don't want even folks necessarily laughing at themselves and realizing that they can have more, that they deserve more, and that they can and will push for more, regardless of the cost and consequences. Yeah. And that is what Havel embodied, and that is what we hope to highlight with the Havel Prize for Creative Descent. Yeah. And so we just wanted to talk about him on, on the 12th year anniversary of his death. Uh, still feels very, it just still feels very fresh. It is very fresh. 12 years is not a long time. No. Oh. I wish we're still here. Absolutely. But we continue his legacy nonetheless. We will do. Well, happy Christmas. Happy Alish. Christmas to you. What are you going to do? Oh, Bye I'm going to be going baby. down to the beautiful state of Louisiana for uh, a little bit and have some fun down there with some family. What about yourself? It's going to get, you're going to have a warm it's going to be lovely. Christmas. Yeah, there's no there's no white Christmas down there. Oh, That's well, okay. I hope it gets colder here for Christmas. It'll be nice. Uh, my mom is coming into town, and we'll uh, just have a little Christmas, the two of us. Oh, beautiful. Now, um, I'm assuming you're going to take her karaoke. Um, show off those vocal talents that you've been waiting. Because, again, last night, uh, you were just keeping them uh, rested. Yeah, I was I was singing on the top of my lungs. I just uh, was not getting up in front of people doing it. Just not. Well, I'll tell you this much, Alicia. I, I'm pretty sure we're not going to win any hobble prizes anytime soon for our vocal talents or lack thereof. Listen, um, I think that you should for the performance that you put in. You were committed. Thank you. To Purple Rain. I'm committed in everything I do. You didn't know any of the words, although they were in front of you, but you but you committed to it. It was all very sudden. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just happy I made it through, and we're here today. It brought me a lot of joy. Good. Omar took a video of it, and I think it'll be you. And joy yes. is what this season is all about. It's all about it. Happy Christmas to you both. Happy Christmas. Happy we're going to be off Christmas next week. Yeah. No episode coming next Thursday, but stick around early 2024. We'll be back in your earbuds for more on the front line of the fight against dictatorship around the world. We'll see you soon. The Human Rights Foundation is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization that promotes and protects human rights globally 
with a focus on closed societies. We promote freedom where it's most at risk, in countries ruled by authoritarian regimes.